Hello, welcome to the Relevant Faith Podcast. My name is Frank Mistretta, and on this podcast, Pastor Troy Wallace and I have Bible-focused, Jesus-centered discussions about what it looks like to live as a Christian in today's culture. If you have any feedback, want to ask a question, have a topic you would like us to talk about, or just want to be on the show, you can email us at relevantfaithpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out Crosspoint Adventist Church on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Adventist and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash crosspointadven. That's A-D-V-E-N. Be sure to watch the Crosspoint Worship Service live stream at our website at crosspointadventist.com Saturdays at 11.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, Frank here. Before the episode starts, I just wanted to say that Troy and I are talking about some pretty heavy stuff today, and we acknowledge the fact that we're both white men, and that we talk from a place of privilege that we don't necessarily completely understand, and that um, we always have something to learn, and so um, we just find it important that we need to have these discussions uh, from a biblical-focused point of view. And so um, if you have any feedback or um, have an opinion or if you have a more um, personal experience with privilege and, and these racial issues, feel free to reach out to us. Um, our email is relevantfaithpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we would love to have you on the show and just have more conversations about this. Anyway, we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Relevant Faith Podcast. My name is Frank and I'm with Troy Wallace again today. Hey Troy, how's it going? Hey Frank, I am doing okay. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the best anybody can be doing right now, huh? Just just okay. We're just kind of hanging on, aren't we? Yeah, um, nothing to celebrate, but you know, just grateful for every day. Yeah, you know, um, 2020 is turning out to be like the worst year ever. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people um, are just fed up and it's like, it gets worse and worse. I've seen, I've seen a meme where is somebody's like looking out the window and it's like just checking to see what chapter of revelation we're on today. And uh, you know, it, it feels real because it's, it's like a downward spiral. Um, and if, uh, yeah. and if anybody doesn't know kind of what we're talking about, uh, the United States is kind of um, on fire at the moment. Um, how how many cities? I think it's at least thirty five major metropolitan areas, but pretty much cities mm-hmm. all over the United States are um, having some pretty significant civil unrest. Um, there's there's peaceful protests um, that um, we can talk about this later um, are being co opted by. Uh, people who want to incite violence and they're turning turning violent yeah. and um, you know it's just unfortunate for for everything involved um, and we're talking about the um, Black Lives Matter movement um, and so Troy like man what where do you what do you think of just some of this stuff going on right now yeah uh, I am I'm heartbroken man I watched the video um with sound and everything. Uh, I think it was on the Washington Post posted it on their news outlet. And I, man, I'd never really watched somebody die in in front of my eyes, like at the hands of somebody else. You know, Uh, I've seen it in the movies and 
you know, I time or two I've seen like the terrorist videos and stuff like that, but I've never seen a civilian in America die, um, pub like just publicly watch it. in front of. I can't. I can't yeah, do it. it 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 puts it puts such discontent in my mind and my heart and my stomach. It it's horrible, man. It is absolutely horrible. Well, I mean, it just it just um, stirs up, um, just how unjust like life can be, right? Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's yeah. It just is is words can't even like explain like how could some? It's just um unfathomable how somebody could just do that like on purpose, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, words escape me. Yeah, the negligence, the the outright hostility, um, the the hatred, whatever it is, like it is hard to witness that from one human being to another, um, and you know it's gross and sad and out outrageous, you know, and angering and frustrating. And there's too many words to describe what what that um, what George Floyd and 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 every single unnecessary death um of a person of color um feels like you know feels like and i'm you know i'm not i'm not black i'm not um you know i'm not african i'm not african-american i am i identify largely as a white male um although i do have some multiracial roots in, in my uh my heritage but yeah dude it's painful and so that's you know, more or less what we are going to be talking about today to all of our listeners, we're going to be talking about um, racism and um, justice and these topics that are so relevant to what we're experiencing as a, as a country right now. Um, and we want to paint the picture of what the Bible um, says about justice and how it describes um, how Christians should respond to racism so that's what we are going to dive into. Um, yeah, Frank, you know, as you think about scripture, um, where do you f- start your, your, your groundwork uh, in thinking about the topic of justice? And how, how do you think about justice uh, biblically um, in, in, in your perspective? Yeah, you know, um, I, try, I try to have the biblical worldview. So any, anything that happens in my life, I try to filter it through, through scripture. And, you know, a lot of people in our culture now think that the Bible is just like a bronze age text that has no value or meaning to anything right now. Like what could the pos- the Bible possibly say about like racism and justice and, and the oppression of a people group. And um, it actually says mm-hmm. quite a lot. Um, so, so what I actually did was, you know, we, everyone talks about justice and, you know, there's even a bigger debate in like Christian circles about social justice. There's a section of, of the church that has an argument that social justice is a distraction from the gospel, which is just like mind boggling to me. We can get into that later. But, um, mm. you know, my, my first thing is to define what does the Bible actually define the word justice as? Like, like when you look up the word justice in a concordance. What, what does it say? And so um, it's actually funny. The word justice 
um, actually doesn't really have a good Hebrew word for it, but there's two words that kind of huh. get the same the same point across. It's sedek, which is rightness mm-hmm. or righteousness, and so sometimes it's translated as justice in English Bibles, but very rarely. The one that does get translated as justice a lot is mishpat, and its actual definition is judgment per Strong's Concordance. Judgment. Yeah, judgment. But yeah. judgment in a certain context can be justice, right? Because it's talking about God's mishpat, God's judgment, but in a way that it's right towards towards another person. So, so the way mm. that you know words words don't mean anything by themselves words mean what they mean in the context of how they're used and so you know the the benefit of a concordance is that you type in mishpat m-i-s-p-a-t you go to biblehub.net and um it has um biblehub.com it has all sorts of concordances you type in mishpat m-i-s-p-a-t is a hebrew concordance and it pulls up every single occurrence of the word mishpat in the hebrew bible and so I just pulled a couple of these because I kind of want to paint a picture of when we say justice, like what's the context of, of that? And so um, I, I've looked up Deuteronomy ten eighteen, and the English Standard Version says he executes justice, which is mishpat. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing, the, the foreigner, right? Mm. Deuteronomy twenty seven mm-hmm. nineteen, the English Standard Version Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice, mishpat, due to the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Micah 6 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does Yahweh require of you but to do mishpat, justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Zechariah 7 9. Thus says the Yahweh of hosts, render true judgments, or mishpat, Show kindness and mercy to one another, Zechariah 7.10. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Even this whole thing is just painting a picture that Psalm 106, verse 9, just kind of like hammers home. English Standard Version. Yahweh watches over the foreigners. He upholds the widows and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So so my whole point out of this is that in the Hebrew Bible, any time or most of the time when the word justice or judgment or righteousness occurs, it's usually in the context of Yahweh protecting and defending and telling his people to protect and defend orphans, widows, foreigners, yeah. the poor. It's the downtrodden. It's, it's the people of society who in the Hebrew Bible, the people who aren't part of national Israel or who are marginalized in national Israel. It's all about having a right relationship with them to protect them, to not oppress them every, almost every instance. Right. And so it's a pretty condemning. um, It's it's a pretty condemning picture when you read the Hebrew Bible as a whole about how God's people are supposed to take care of these marginalized people. And so it's just really yeah. unfortunate because I think that some of the people who have a political mixed like politics mixed in with their religion, they kind of think that this is like a joke or like they don't take it seriously. They don't believe these people when they say they're oppressed. They don't 
they don't seem to mm. care and i think it's just a gross distortion of what the scripture is trying to tell them yeah yeah so yeah let's review a little bit about what you said because i think that understanding this justice um concept in from the bible really uh, paints a good picture both for us about how we treat other people, but how we view God and the judgment, you know, the mishpat, the judgment of God always exonerates, you know, the, the oppressed and it always judges uh, or punishes the oppressor. Right. And so judgment for the oppressed is always mercy and love and grace and re- and restoration right and then ju- judgment for the wicked is always harsh and severe and so you know as people think about judgment the judgment day and everything like that judgment is two things at the judgment day you know when Christ is returning and everything like that judge judgment for those who um, refuse to bend to mercy and to helping others and to living christ's way ultimately meet their end right they they, you cannot live in in a world of injustice indefinitely eternally you know what i mean that you cannot create a community that is eternally and immortally unjust right that would be unjust of god to create that kind of community so god invites the oppressed (laughs) those who needed redemption and mercy and grace in, and, and are willing to, you know, live the Jesus way of other centered love, you know, that community is, is the community that's going to receive God's grace and mercy and, re- and restoration. Um, so that the, like double edged sword of judgment, um, I think is so crucial to understand. Um, and so, you know, I, I love the picture of God that that paints. It's like, God is so good to those who are overlooked and, you know, as I think about scripture, uh, it's 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 great to see scripture in its proper context and, and to understand to 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 approach scripture with the right lens. And one of the things that has changed my perspective of scripture is the entire Bible is predicated on the the narrative fact that it is about the redemption of the underdog. You know, if that, you know, it's like. The, the foundation, the first books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, paint the picture of God stepping in to a very disoriented, chaotic, messed up, evil world and choosing a very unlikely uh, minority community who are being oppressed by privileged human beings, um, Egyptians, as it were in the story, and, and, and rescuing them and trying to establish them into their own community so that they no longer have to be slaves of other people, right? So, like, God is trying to bring people who are in bondage and slavery and oppression um, in the in the big sphere, oppression under the lies of the devil, but in the in the, the material sphere, oppression underneath other human beings who are oppressing, right? So, so you know, when Jesus calls us to righteousness. Basically, he's calling us to treating other people rightly, you know, uh, fairly, you know, uh, equally and, and all of the, the, the rest of the positive uh, adjectives that Jesus 
showed and demonstrated when he treated people the way he did. So biblically speaking, justice um, highly favors those who have been hurt because of the abuses of other human beings. Um, and, and so, you know, we then transition to that next part of what you're saying is a lot of people want to diminish this, um, the, the topic of racism altogether. You know, there have been some that have said we are post-racial because we've had a black president. And <laughs> uh, I don't know if you listen to Malcolm Gladwell, um, but he has a podcast. He's written lots of books. Um, um, his podcast or his, yeah, I think his podcast is called Revisionist History. And he relooks at um, often overlooked historical events and pulls out some really profound truths from those historical events. And one of the ones he was, um, was looking at was this election of this female prime minister in Australia. And so Australia, kind of like America, they had their first female prime minister and they were a culture that was like, oh, look, we're post-sexism. Like we're no longer sexist. We've had a female prime minister and so we are no longer sexist. And um, there was this other leader, um, I forget his name, but he had made some outlandish statements uh, and he was a political opponent of the female prime minister there. And, you know, she basically in parliament meeting one day, she just let him have it. Right. And she put him in his place and how he had characterized her and slandered her and all these other things, misogynistic and all this stuff that he had done. And right. And so, you know, it was public and, you know, she got like standing ovation. Everybody's like, look, you know, female you know, are, are getting the respect that they deserve now. And so what's interesting is something similar happened in America with President Obama, where, you know, we, we elected a black president and everybody assumed we have just emerged as a new country that is post-racial. We don't, we are colorblind and everything like that. But in both situations of America's election of, um, well, after the election of uh, Donald Trump, and then, you know, Australia's next leader. The interesting thing was Australia's new leader after uh, that succeeded this woman was the very man that she had lambasted in that parliament me meeting. Like it, it had almost been like the, the, the very values that everybody thought, you know, were not popular in the country anymore. Um, those same people voted for the man who, who this lady you know, gave it to him in this parliament meeting. And then, you know, post Obama, we elect Donald Trump. And, you know, I don't have to say a lot there, um, but he has made a lot of uh, seemingly racist uh, decisions, anti-foreigner decisions. Um, and so um, um, Malcolm Gladwell, he calls this, he phrases, he coined this moral licensing. He said, basically, because we have chosen to elect Barack Obama because Australia chose to elect this woman, we can now take the moral license of that reality and assume that we live with that kind of morality now when in, in underneath the surface, there is still a lot of prejudice and bias that, that, that dwells a lot of the time that maybe we're not aware of that plays out in how we treat people subtly, you know, not maybe not overtly, but subtly. Um, and so that, that to me was a very interesting um, idea. 
And uh, yeah. Yeah, man, you know, it's it's pretty nuts because I've noticed that. There's always like a slingshot effect almost, right? Like it, it, it yeah. almost seems like yeah. a pendulum, like on a clock. And, you know, back in like, you know, from, from what I've learned or read about, you know, the 60s, 70s, whatever, it's like on the poli- political scale, it was kind of like the pendulum was swinging just like moderate, liberal, moderate, conservative. And then just over time, the swings has gotten wider and wider and wider to where now yeah. it's like, you know, so far left, so far right. And it's like, it's, it's, it's it's weird because it's almost kind of like, if you say, Hey, like our culture, our country, America was built on slavery, which is horrible. And Mm -hmm. there are still vestiges and ramifications from that in society today. All of a sudden you're just like a liberal progressive, like hippie who has, you know, so far left just by saying that comment to some people. Or it's like, you know, everybody who's out there protesting is like, you know, a violent criminal and they need to get hammered down hard. You know, it's, it's like those are the two options and nobody's being able to like have a, a, a chance to just kind of come back and say, hey, like there, there's a middle ground and there's a way to, to work through this and to figure this out. But we're so polarized now. And, you know, I mean, this is my opinion and I've read a lot of stuff um, kind of pointing to this, but this it's we're kind of almost being manipulated to kind of have these super Mm. extremes right and i think it's unfortunate because the only thing we should be manipulated by is scripture and the holy spirit and you know that needs to be our moral compass that needs to be our guide on how to how to handle these situations and how to how to move forward and and bring healing right um and and specifically yeah yeah you know and, and specifically what i'm what i'm really upset about or sad about is that there's there's like a, a group of people who are saying they're Christian who are just like so on board with some of the the counter protest violence that's going on, right? Um I don't know if you've yeah. you heard it or saw it. I saw the videos of it where Trump used like riot police to clear an area so he could go walk yeah. to the like national cathedral, the church, the church. to take a photo yeah. of him holding the Bible, like in a really awkward way. And then just like kind of walk back and it's just unfortunate, right? Because it's really hurting our ability to witness Jesus when stuff like that happens, because that's what the popular culture sees as Christian Christianity. And so it's, it's, it's unfortunate because, um, you know, it's, it just makes it harder for us to share Jesus's Jesus's love. And, um, you know, what you were talking about earlier about like, um, God doesn't let perpetual systems of injustice occur un, unopposed, right? At some point, God's going to act in history. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the biblical prophets like, uh, you know, Isaiah and stuff like that call that the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh. The, the, it's modeled yeah. off of the Exodus story in Egypt where human, human corruption and injustice gets so bad that at some point God steps in in a big way. And usually it's like the end of the world for somebody, right? For ancient Egypt, like that was a big deal. Um, and, and he, you know, frees the slaves and, and frees the people and liberates everybody. And, you know, that's kind of what we're yeah. looking forward to um, with all of this. Like there's gonna, there is hope, right? It seems so dark and hopeless and, yeah. and, you know, systemic evil everywhere. What can we do? Well, you know, 
he did it at the Exodus, and he did it um, with ancient Babylon. He's he's going to do the Day of the Lord again in the future, and so you know it gives us hope. Looking yeah. forward to the time when when this is this is kind of all the wrongs are set back to right. But in the meantime, you know there's stuff that there's yeah. stuff that we can do um, to help our to help our oppressed brothers and sisters out there, right? And um, you know it's yeah. Just, yeah. tough because. You know, especially if you're if you're a Seventh Day Adventist, right? Um, you know, you, you, the Sabbath is is something really, really important, and the idea that a Seventh Day Adventist, which I don't know any who are like this, but I'm sure there's someone around the world that's like okay <laughs> with kind of the response to these protests and all this stuff. Deuteronomy five twelve fifteen. It's it's when. Um, God is telling, or when Moses is telling everybody to, to observe, the, observe the Sabbath as your Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor, labor and do your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that your Lord brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So he literally ties the idea of you being an oppressed slave group into the Sabbath. And so as a Christian, mm. like we, mm. like the, the plight of the oppressed should be like on the forefront of our minds because these are our spiritual ancestors. We as Christians were enslaved in our ancient days by, you know, Egypt and God using his mighty hand. So we should, we should at least, at least want that and work towards that. And so. Yes. Yeah. You know, that is the exact, that's the story of Jesus, to be honest. Jesus looked at an oppressed world, right? He considered the entire human race oppressed under, under the lies and deception and false uh, way of living of, of the devil, Satan, you know, and he became a human being. He put himself underneath of that oppression and he, as an act of solidarity, he couldn't, he came and stood with human beings by becoming one, right? So the story of Jesus is that he lowered himself. This is uh, the the text in Philippians that said, you know, he emptied himself, became nothing, um, for the sake of you know lifting up humanity, right? He, yeah, he did not uh, consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied him. He poured himself out unto nothing, you know, to become nothing for us. And so that's the, you know, the entire gospel story is about God humbling himself um, for our benefit. And so, you know, um, I think it's interesting. This is a side and aside because I wanted to touch on something you said earlier with that judgment that, you know, there has to be an end to it. Um, one of the texts in the Bible that people weaponize against, you know, people of the LGBTQ community is, well, one of the stories is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And Ezekiel, in the text of Ezekiel, um, it actually says that the sin of Sodom, the sin of Sodom was um, neglecting the poor. So, you know, not not overtly homosexuality is that's not what the text is talking about. It said the sin of Sodom was was neglecting justice you know, essentially. And the reason Sodom was judged because they neglected justice. So, um, yeah, I wanted to return, you know, uh, with you to what are some of the realities of 
people of color and minorities in our in our country that are often denied because I think that that is going to be very uh, important for us to figure out how do we act justly towards those you know communities. Um, so I did a little research on some data that's come out and I wanted to shed some light maybe to our audience as to why why George Floyd is is inciting so much outrage from all people you know from from people that are you know uh, either validating the situation and trying to support you know George Floyd and, and others or um, people that are fighting against you know it and anti-protests and everything like that so um i'll just take a minute with this frank yeah, if that's okay it, with you but um so so one of the things that's got this this george floyd situation uh, more attention than some of the other ones is the fact that it's compounded with covid and the situation with covid is not just that that uh, people are stressed out about the disease, but but the reality of what's happened because of the pandemic to the black community is is what what is inciting all this kind of outrage. Because um, the reality is for uh, for for people of color, for minorities, um, they are being hit by the disease far harder than anybody else is. Um, so because of the lack of uh, access to healthcare and things like that, um, more African-American people, more blacks, more um, American black people and people of color are dying from COVID than anybody else. And I don't, that has not gotten much press, which is one of the reasons why there's so much outrage about that, you know, in the black community is the, co- the compounding of, systemic um the lack of i guess the lack of access to healthcare and you know all these systemic issues that have come into play that are causing black people to die from disease now compounded with actual violence against black people in successive cases over the last few months is basically riled up the whole uh, black community and, and minority community to say like this has to stop like we cannot just keep watching people die either to disease, either to financial death or either to actual brutal death and do nothing about it. Right. So so all those things put together have kind of led to this place where people are saying enough is enough. We're not going to stand by and just watch people die, you know, continually. We need to make a statement and, you know, in essence, th- that's what's happening is um, people are making a statement and oftentimes, you know, and, and I would say this is the minor- minority of people. Oftentimes, um, the statement comes out with some anger. You can expect that in a situation like that. Um, and some people are violently protesting, and that is a minority of people that are violently protesting. So others are rioters and insiders and opportunists is what they're called. Um, but but most people just want to be heard, you know, and I think that that is to me, that's the the obvious reality is that people are most angry when nobody's listening. 
right? When you feel and see things and nobody seems to care, that's when people get angry. And all I, this is my experience with all situations of frustration with, with people that I've interacted with is that when they feel powerless and nobody's listening, that's when the anger and, and rage and frustration really comes out. And so um, that's kind of what's made this, this, um, this issue so extreme um, in terms of why, why, why now, why is it so, um, why are things so crazy right now? Um, that's, yeah, basically it. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I've learned. Um, and I did a bunch of uh, research on the unemployment rates, you know, it, just because of COVID. Um, there's one tagline that's going around, first to get fired, last to get hired. That's, bad. Um, th- that's when one, so black people by and large have been fired and released from jobs at higher rates than other people. And they're often the last ones to get rehired back for these positions. Um, so that's one of the things you know, get getting the same types of jobs that white Americans and other people that are privileged get like it's harder for people of color. And then, you know, and then, you know, they're the first ones to get lo- the, to get let go or, and then last ones to get rehired. So um, there's that factor. The unemployment rates are way higher. The the lack of health care and health insurance is way higher in, in the African-American community. The amount of homelessness amongst African-American is increasing at a higher rate because of economic hardship than of whites. Um, and now, you know, you tie in the, the brutality in other ways and everybody's just fed up, you know, in the, in the black community. So um, yeah. So people all over the place are coming out to support and um, to protest. And at the heart of every protest is people s- shouting a message saying, please hear us, hear us please change. You know, that, that's the heart of every protest is somebody just asking for somebody to acknowledge their situation. Yeah, man, that's, Um, it's it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. And you know, um, I'm a, I'm a white man and, um, I, uh, had a friend in college. Uh, he was a uh, Mexican American born in El Paso, Texas. And he, um, was the first to kind of help me see, how and I, I, I don't like using hmm. the, word, the word privilege um, but it's a good word to describe how there's just different expectations or different ways of getting treated when you're a different color yeah. and you don't it, yeah. it's not anyone's fault that they don't recognize it or see it but when people start pointing it out to you at some point, it becomes, mm-hmm. for me, it became obvious when I saw it. And I still have a hard time grasping it. But um, I, I can't take credit for this. My sister-in-law turned me on to this. Have you heard Trevor Noah's uh, monologue? So, um, yeah, no. I recommend everyone to go listen to Trevor Noah from The Daily Show. He has like an 18-minute-ish video. Um, and he kind of talks about what why this is all happening, why people are so angry. And I'm just going to read a little bit of what, what he says. Um, he described um, that everybody, we all in society, sign a social contract in order to maintain order that would otherwise be chaotic. 
And so, you know, society is like a contract. We all sign it with each other, whether spoken or unspoken. We agree to a group, a, a group of common rules and common ideas and common practices that define us as a group. And the contract is only as strong as the people who abide by it, right? But then, you know, some members yeah. of society, namely black people and other minorities, I'm sure are thrown in there, watch time and time again how the contract that they've signed up with society is not being honored by the society that forced them to sign it with them. He goes Mm. on to say that we as a society are told that if we behave in a certain way, we are maintaining the social contract and the police are the ones that enforce that behavior. But when the police not only don't adhere to the social contract themselves, but penalize black people when they protest the injustice, the contract is meaningless. Um, and he just he goes on to say that, you know, it's it's just people are kind of sick of the contract being broken. Right. And um, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. really good. And I, I sympathize. Right. Like it can't be easy being a police officer. And there are many, many men and women who do amazing things and, and just help out. But I also know that humans, people are people and we are all corrupted by sin and you know a gun and a badge can just make some people you know lose it and um it's just it's just sad overall um but that was the trevor noah monologue is is the best explanation i've heard of of kind of what is driving all the anger behind why people are are protesting yeah yeah well, um, I don't know if you ever read the New York Times, but they put out an article um, and it basically they interviewed tons of people protesting because they just wanted to see, like, why are people protesting? And um, and so I'll, I'll, if you if you'll allow me, I want to read some of the um, protests because I think, you know, in them, you know, we'll be able to see um, just more clearly, I'm curious. you know, why why people are protesting (laughs) so so here's what let me pull up the article real quick okay so here's here's kind of the the title of the article i thought it was i thought it was pretty interesting um it's called sorry it's called in every city there's a george floyd and um so there there's a, an array of different um, pe- uh, types of people, obviously, um, you, you can think of that would be at one of these things. Um, here's one guy, Don, Don Hubbard, 44, Minneapolis. Don Hubbard said that he had no choice but to come to cut, f- cut food to store where, uh, a, where a store clerk reported that Mr. Floyd had tried to use a counterfeit $20 bill leading to the call to the police right so that's the situation where george floyd was actually you know killed like it was somebody suspected him of using a fake 20 dollar bill right that's that's what led to his death if you think about it that way that's wild right um a minneapolis native mr hubbard said 90 percent of his interactions with the police had been negative even though he he had been a local uh, government play for years 10 years ago mr hubbard said the police stopped him 
as he came out of his store saying that he fit the description of a man accused of a domestic dispute. He said, I fit the description because I was black. Mr. Hubbard said his coworker who was white sat in the truck and looked the other way instead of vouching for him. He said, I haven't talked to that man to this day. I think he's a coward. Basically, you know, profiling was the obvious reason for, for him. And so he says, I come out here today on this nice day because I feel like if I don't come out here and we don't all show up, then what are we doing? We're letting this man die in vain. Um, then there, there was another lady. And, and because I am white, ma mainly white, um, I want to read the perspective from a white um, lady who said um, her name was Beth Muffet. Um, she said, uh, Beth, Wovett, uh, Beth Muffet is a white stay-at-home mother and massage therapist. When out officers outside City Hall used their bicycles to push back a crowd of protesters, she screamed and noted, and noted their badge number. She ended up bruised, pepper sprayed, and outraged. I think there's a real turn right now among moms who want to educate their kids to be post-racial, said Muffet, whose daughter is nearly four. And, that's, and so that's led to a lot of moms on Facebook being like, your white silence is deafening. If you're not standing up for George Floyd, she said, who's going to stand up for you? It's just a level of wrongness that I couldn't couldn't say no to going out to try to do something. For most of her life, uh, Miss Muffet had positive interactions with law enforcement until Sunday, after she and her friends left the protest. Uh, Miss Muffet had bruises on her stomach and knee from where one of the officers struck her with his bicycle, and another bruise on her arm after she fell back into another protester. I'm sorry that this is the first time as a white lady I've gone through this, Ms. Muffet said. There's a lot of privileged white women, and I'm one of them, she said. I've never had a cop treat me like that. So, you know, all, all, all different types of people trying to, you know, to, to stand in, in, in support and advocacy for um, every single person who's been mistreated unfairly. And in so doing... You know, these people, this lady herself, she is allying herself with people that are getting, um, you know, violently pushed back against. Right. And she was, you know, some violence was perpetrated against her, too. Um, another lady, Erica Zidane, she said, I'd never been affected by another one like this. I watched a man die. That's why I watched a man die. So she came out. And she watched people get tear gassed and pepper sprayed. And, you know, she was trying to open her house up um, to let people wash their eyes out and stuff like that. Um, it's just ugly, you know, just ugly. So, you know, from the voices of people at the protest, the reason they're, they're going out there is, is, is to say, you know, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And this has to stop. Yeah. And, you know, and, and what we've seen in response to that is the government in in like you'd think using even more for force and what trump has been calling for is the use of even more force and more authority to try to quell the protests it's it's wild um, and you know um there's there's many different ways of supporting supporting this group you don't i don't think that you have to be out there like on the front lines if you're like unable to be right i mean it's it's scary out there it's mm -hmm. violent but there are many ways that you can help you can help uh you know write letters to your your senators you can vote 
there there's ways that you can help these people there's petitions online you can donate to to the charities that are that are helping these people so um there's many there's many ways to help this and it's it's an attitude right it's it's an attitude because because at the end of the day all of these police chiefs and all of the people who organize and run all these things they're elected officials and fortunately the united states is still a country where voting we can vote where the the citizen can vote and so um you know i think i think it just starts from the heart and people just paying attention to what's happening and you know this is the first time that i've ever seen anything like this and i know that you know um there's been protests in the in the u.s before and and stuff like this but with social media it spreads like wildfire and you know i mean hopefully the momentum can stay strong and, and things can change and, and people get the justice that they deserve. Yeah. I think one of the best things anybody can do is if you have, you know, a, a black friend or an African-American friend or a minority friend, the best thing you can do is to ask the question, what's it like? What is it like to be you? What is it like to be black? What is it like, you know, to to be in your shoes, to experience life the way that you do, right? And 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 what what I found is listening brings so much healing. And so um, there's this topic, and you know, to kind of to, to as we close up, as we finish up, this is you know ultimately what I believe Christ type of justice is. Um, there's two types of justice in the world. And, and, um, and I learned about this kind of um, idea recently, actually. There's uh, retributive justice and there's uh, redemptive justice, right? So retributive justice is exactly what you'd think it is. It is an eye for an eye, you know. Um, we need to punish. And when we punish bad behavior, we will get change. And, you know, when we get that change, you know, everything will be better, right? Um, punishment. So the, the formula is sin, punishment, repentance, and transformation, right? That's how we execute justice. Um, in God's way, it's it, this idea of restorative justice, justice is God, uh, we sin, there's sin, there's human sin. So there's sin, God shows unconditional love. From that unconditional love, um, God transforms us and it leads to the result of repentance, right? So there is um, a love that is met with, with injustice that causes a change in people. And so only when we're listening do we really see, um, do we really see healing and res- re- restoration redemption take place. Um, so I was reading um about i don't do you know who desmond tutu is from yeah so down there in south africa they um you know after the apartheid and all that kind of stuff fell um they obviously you know they, they were trying to do some things to facilitate a healing experience and so desmond tutu initiated this kind of healing experience so he had the offenders uh, many of the people that were major criminals in a lot of ways publicly confess what they had done 
um, not as a form of punishment, but as a form of healing. So it was like the idea of like justice for the people is somebody else saying, hey, this is what I did that was wrong. And um, and I just want somebody to listen. And so, you know, they did this and it was the first real case of this type of, you know, of justice, if you will, um, being carried out. And it was transformational. Um, it, it brought so much healing and, and so much of the pain experienced from the people under these like regimes um, was validated, you know, in a lot of ways. And so, you know, in these issues of race and, and, and injustice and stuff like that, a whole lot of listening and acknowledgement needs to happen that's not happening. And I think one of the sad realities with when it comes to the race wars in America is that nobody actually just acknowledges, you know what, you're right. You know what, this is wrong. You know what, we're sorry that you've experienced this. I, I remember posting something recently on my social media, um, just in my outrage of this. And one of the argu- arguments that somebody made was, well, you know, this there, we've got to have responsibility on both sides because, you know, it's the police you know, they're painted to be these bad guys in the eyes of every black person. And because they're painted to be bad guys, they have to use more force to defend themselves. And it was like this, this basically like judo deflection move where it's like, we're just going to avoid all the pain and, and, and injustice that people are outraged about and try to blame it on the narratives behind you know, this war, like, instead of just saying, yeah, you know what, this is wrong. And this man's death was absolutely horrendous. And there needs to be change. It was like, well, no, there's blame on both sides. And I think you find that in a lot of people way too many, you know. Um, And so listening is goes such a long way. And I think that's the best thing. As Christians, that's what I want to do is, is, is listen and not deflect and not avoid but but do my best at listening um listening to the stories of pain and and standing um as in solidarity with those who are experiencing you know it 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 takes a little level of humble humility to to say you know what i was wrong you were right you know um it 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 takes it takes humility and it's hard but you know jesus tells us that god you know exalts to humble and humbles the exalted and so um i i don't think that there i don't i don't think we have a choice yeah. right i mean we need to we need to talk we need to listen yeah. and then we need to be humble yeah. and listen what people say um because it's their life it's their yes. story and you know at some point the evidence just stacks up where it's like i i have nothing to say you're right i'm sorry you know what can we do um exactly and, you know this has not really been a, a very comforting episode of relevant faith but um before before we go i just wanted to read um the beatitudes the sermon on the mount because at the end of the day um we believe in a god who became man who humbled himself to become man and who died on the cross because humanity is the way it is not because he hated us but because he loved us and so as i read this i want us to, to have in our in our minds what's going on in the world right now. And I, I think we'll be surprised at how relevant the Sermon on the Mount really is. This is from Matthew chapter five. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kind of has a different ring to it now, huh? We kind of just read it and blow through it. But when when reality hits us in our face and, and we see the type of people that the, the type of behavior that a sin filled human can have, just knowing that it's the downtrodden, like the Old Testament says, it's the downtrodden, it's the, the foreigner, yeah. it's the oppressed that has the kingdom of God. And so, you know, um, mm. it, it's it's hopeful for me because. Jesus knows what's going on. He suffered the worst of all of this. And, you know, we'll, we'll be vindicated in the end. Mm. It's good, man. Yeah. I mean, that is ultimately the message, too, that Jesus preached on the Mount. It was for broken, marginalized people that were not mainstream Jews. That were, you know, they were, they were living under... <laughs> under the the power of the empire and you know and in the jewish nation too they're excluded in a lot of ways um so it's jesus speaking to us and the broken you know and giving us a place where we didn't we didn't have respect didn't have um privilege you know so yeah thanks for this talk frank this has been a tough tough one and i think you know what we need to do is reveal that we are with people, you know, in their pain and that we're, we're here to listen. We're here to support. We're here to give voice to those who um, haven't had one before. Part of it too, is that Um, I want people to know that our Christian faith has something to say about all of this. It's not, it's not something that you just do privately in your own house. Although, you know, Jesus commands us to not make a show of our faith, but you know, at the end of the day, our faith, our faith can have the power to transform the world. And in situations like this, you know, the Bible has a lot to say and Jesus has a yeah. lot to say. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to, I'm sure this topic will come up uh, again at some point. It's been in the news a lot lately, but thanks for this conversation, Frank. And, you know, I pray, I want to, you know, as we close up, I want to just pray for, for everybody uh, affected by, what's happening, whether uh, firsthand or whether, uh, you know, by association. God, we just uh, think about the broken world we're living in right now and the pain, the anger, the frustration, the the violence, the the hate, um, everything out there right now, the sickness and the death. And we, we pray, God, for your your spirit to overwhelm the force of evil, uh, to bring uh, wholeness and love and forgiveness and healing. Uh, we pray for all the victims of these injustices against 
people of color, Lord. We pray that we could be good advocates for them. God, heal us. Thank you for being with us today. In Jesus' Amen. name. Amen. Jesus came into the world announcing that the kingdom of God has arrived in him. Culture wants to have the kingdom without the king. But Jesus and his teachings are as relevant today as they were yesterday and will be tomorrow. Thank you for listening as we wrestle, wrestle with how to live as disciples of Jesus in our modern culture and to share our relevant faith. God bless.